it should almost be easier for brands to decide like, yeah, this person's not a risk. They align with who we are. Right, welcome back to Creator Economy Live. This is episode 18. As always, the place to get the download on everything creator economy and influencer marketing. We've got a great episode for you today. We're covering a lot of ground. We're going to talk about some of the new social platform features that were launched in the last week, the state of TikTok shop, what's happening with social media misinformation, TikTok's new scoring for creators, and of course, as always, our cow bow and follow on follow. We are your hosts, Keith Bendis and Brent again, and we are joined today by Digitas's North American head of content, Mark Book. Mark, welcome to the pod. Very excited to have you today. Thank you. Excited to be here. All right. Well, let's get into it, Mark. I know not everyone's going to know who you are, so definitely want to hear about your history, your background, and you've been at how you've been at Digitas for quite some time now, yeah. Yeah, uh, lucky number thirteen, I think. Um, thirteen years at Digitas, and before that, I feel like I've been, you know, in talent for nearly. 20 years. So I started my career right after college, did the cross-country trip from New York to LA and started in talent management, you know, working as, you know, in the mailroom, you know, there's a book called The Mailroom. I I recommend it for folks because that's sort of where a lot of people, you know, sort of begin their careers, made my way as an assistant and then, you know, a junior manager. And I originally wanted to do, you know, produce films and TV series. And I kind of fell in love with the talent game and in around 2008, 2009, that was really the rise of YouTube influencers at that time. So I saw a lot of agencies and managers, smart ones, getting in to that early with those folks. And I was like, I want to represent you know, those types of talent. And I think at the time, the company I worked for you know, wasn't too keen on that. They were still you know, TV, film, you know, sort of uh, uh, you know, those traditional mediums. And so I saw, you know, that a lot of these ad deals were getting done. And so I was just like, listen, I would love to move back to New York. I wanted to, you know, work with, uh, with talent and influencers. And at that time too, you know, talking about 2008, 2009, web series were becoming more of a thing. And, and in order to have a credible web series, you needed a traditional talent at that time. Right. So I think I was, I was very lucky to be able to sort of meld those two things in common. And so now you know, talent is just so important, whether you're doing something with, you know, an influencer or a creator as part of an ambassadorship, long-term, short-term campaign-based, or, you know, talent in, you know, TV series and films and things like that. So myself and my team, we're really responsible for anything that's non-interruptive, content-led, and that can range from anything from, you know, influencer or creator activation on TikTok or Instagram to, you know, series and films on Hulu and Peacock and an HBO Max. So I'm sort of, you know, back ended very sort of like circumvented path to to producing different things through the brand funded entertainment department. So um, very lucky in that regard. And I get to work with some of the, you know, the top brands from beauty and travel to to home appliances. And, and you know, we're doing a lot of great work. Love that. So Mark, for content, because you're head of all of content, but we're talking one style content. There's so many types of content now between social creator, you know, CTV, traditional. How are you structuring content internally and how are you differentiating between all the types? Yeah, I think the mission or the purpose in the 13 years that I've been at Digitas haven't 
changed a whole lot, right? We talked about it before. It's it's more about providing, you know, invitational content as opposed to you know interrupting people, and that does become a Trojan horse for more ad-free environments as well. I think the canvas has just changed, right? So you know, it used to be web series and and YouTube videos, and there was some flexibility within talent-led and influencer versus you know creating it on behalf of the brand and then releasing it. And now it's just like you have, you know, it's so fractured in terms of the the media landscape. There's so many more places to to sort of paint an interesting picture. In terms of how we structure the teams and and the expertise that we tried to, or the subject matter expertise that we, you know, hire for and the value that we give our clients, you know, influencers and creators are certainly their own bucket. You know, talent deals and talent distribution and all of those things from a, a social perspective and both organic and paid, you need very tactical expertise in the best way to, you know, collaborate with creators to, you know, really align and find that that brand voice. And then in terms of other things that we do, we work with publishers, we work with streaming services, et cetera. So I think in terms of the process of how we, you know, create and um, the co-creation aspect, it remains the same across those third parties, whether it's an individual, whether it's a platform, whether it's a streaming service, whether it's a publisher, but the expertise is a bit different when you're talking about, you know, short form content with influencers that are more long term versus, you know, really producing a, a series or a documentary. It all comes down to finding that brand purpose. Uh, that's what we help our clients do. And then creating content that is invitational and that essentially customers can get closer to your brand, not necessarily the widgets that the brand might create and sell. This being the Creator Economy Live podcast, I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts in terms of your philosophy or frameworks and strategies in working with content on the creator side of things. How do you approach that? It's a great question. I treat influencers a lot more. I, I try to say the word creator more than influencer. And I, and I say that because the influence comes from the creation of whatever content they're making for their audience. We tend not to do a lot of megaphone related work. So when we partner with a, a creator or an influencer, we're not like, hey, say this thing and put hashtag ad at the end of it, right? Like how we work with them is we treat them like a, a creator and we we invite them in to the brand and we we provide them with a brief, but we also obviously have a direct conversation with them as well. And we say, hey, we know that you're a creator of this thing. I almost feel like they're creators or showrunners of their own universe, right? And so if you think about it that way and you think about, you know, if I want to integrate into Top Chef or I want to integrate into White Lotus, you know, with Mike White or whatever it is, like the way that you do that is, I think, very similar to how you treat an influencer creator. You understand, you know, where they're coming from. You understand their tone. You understand their voice. And then you find shared opportunities together to bring what's the best of our brand purpose with what's the best with what they do. I also try to, when we can, short-term campaigns are always going to be a thing, right? Working from quarter to quarter with clients on marketing initiatives. But the more that we can bring in long-term relationships with these folks, the better efficiencies you get. Every time that they're creating content for you, it gets better and better and better, and it gets faster and faster and faster, right? Because they understand you treat them almost as like an extension of your own creative team. So that's the ideal way of, of how we work. There's always going to be something where 
a reactive thing pops up and we want to work with somebody on a, on a fast paced thing and say, Oh, this person would be perfect for this right thing, you know, for this right now. And we try to include as many of those elements as possible. But our, you know, I've worked on everything from QSR brands to femcare in these longer term annual plus relationships. And that's, that's where I see the, you know, sort of the biggest advantages. Dude, I love everything you just said. Two things stand out. Showrunner of your own universe. Like, that is so tactfully put. I love it. And then the long-term partnerships piece, like Keith and I have talked about this quite a bit. Like, I think that's the best way to work with creators, like efficiencies, economies of scale. It's great for the creators. It's great for the audience. It's great for the brand. I'd be curious, like, like why do you think that's not being embraced as much as those of us sort of like on the ground sort of think it should be? <laughs> There's probably a few reasons for that. I would say talking through how the brand group think is, which is more quarterly fiscal related responsibilities and saying, okay, you know, it's very difficult for brands to look ahead a year, right? And so to be able to do that, you need to make sure that you've allocated budgets across multiple quarters. You need to put faith in a creator in terms of their livelihood, frankly, and how they represent themselves throughout the year, right? And then you need to put a lot of solutions in place for potential landmines and, and trap doors. These are people, right? And so these people, they have lives, they have families, things happen, like, and if and they might not want to be an influencer six months from now, or something may happen where, you know, there's a death of a family member that's happened before. And they're just like, I can't create fun, uplifting content after I've had a family member pass. And so I think that's a difficulty in terms of the long-term vision for that, that brands have a lot of those questions. It's a lot easier to just say, you know, hey, be with us for the next two months as opposed to the next year plus because you really need to plan for that and, and have the expertise to be able to deal with those things when they come up. Yeah, there's a cost element, I think, too. It's it's both. I think there's a diversity of content. One, I think brands do want a highly diverse set of content and they want to work with a lot of influencers. And when it used to be a much less expensive on an influencer partnership, that was much more feasible. But now that it's much more expensive, typically on the average influencer partnership, you can't have that many added ambassador relationships. So I think cost plays plays into it. And then I also think there's the element of being, to your point, being with a creator for a long period of time. And there's there's now, every time something like Bud Light happens, there's this fear of like, well, what happens if I commit to somebody for too long and they do something and then and then it backfires on me. So I think there's a few things at play, but we all know CeraVe being, to me, one of the best examples of how they've bet on long-term relationships, how they've bet on creator, and it's just paid off so well for their brand. So I hope more do it. And I also hope, Brendan, I feel like you have said this before. I had lunch with a, a Netflix exec the other day on the ad business, and they do upfront style. That's how they do it as well, just like traditional TV does. I do want there to be a creator upfront where all of this is kind of presented and sold and you could you could commit to these ambassador relationships and their scarcity. So it's like, if you don't, then somebody else will. So if you really want this trending creator, you have to do it. I would really love to see something come up like that. Yeah, I, I think the trending element is interesting, right? Because if you talk about, you know, we have, and, and you all have as well, tools to, to see sort of the trajectory of where somebody's going. There's a, there's a woman who I've been admiring her content for a while. Her name is uh, uh, Hallie Tutt. And she had, I don't know if you all have, have seen her, but she went from 20,000 followers, you know, three months ago to, to a million followers, like 
within that three month period and it continues to grow. And so being able to, to sort of analyze that and basically bet on these people before they become more in that sort of mega influencer category or, or however you want to, whatever nomenclature you want to use, I think speaks volumes because they remember that and they remember that, you know, a brand believed in them before they kind of hit it. And I also think it's kind of the opposite of what TV shows and films used to be. It's like, which I, I really enjoyed, but a lot of people poked fun at it, which was the subway relationship that community had the, the show, right? Um, a lot of people had sort of maybe took out the experience as opposed to is additive to it. For these people, I think brands are a badge of honor, right? Like that means you've made it when a brand comes to you for your, you know, your first, your second, your third, or, or a larger deal. So I think that trending point is, is a big one because we don't just want to go after the megaphone, Kim Kardashian, Kendall Jenner folks. Like we want to go, you know, who's going to be the next Emma Chamberlain or who's going to be, you know, like any one of those people. I think one thing on the, you know, sort of brand safety side of things, and I, I understand the concern about, oh, you know, where's this creator going to be in a year? Are they going to say something? Is it going to sort of blow up the brand and, and put them in a negative light? But like nobody questions sort of the viability of like long-term like athlete partnerships or celebrity partnerships. And I would say that creator partnerships in a lot of ways is safer because everything they're putting out into the world, it's like, A, there's so much more of it to sort of get a sense of like who they are and what they stand for. And B, it's not filtered through kind of millions of PR folks and stuff. And so from a brand, you know, brand creator fit standpoint, it seems like it's a lot easier to identify like, yes, this person aligns with our values in a really deep way versus like, here's an athlete. We like maybe get to hear them every once in a while at a press conference, but don't really know how they think. And so I actually think the whole like brand safety issue should be viewed through that lens. And like creators are more, they're more available. You know what they think. And as a result, it should almost be easier for brands to decide like, yeah, this person's not a risk. They align with who we are versus like celebrities where it's like, mm, you don't really know. Like, <laughs> I feel like there's almost celebrities, you know, and, and I would put athletes under that uh, measure. They almost fight for their their privacy. Like that's what they're, you know, that's what they're all about. It's like they they go in, they don't they don't want to be, you know, they show up to press events, they they do sort of the, you know, the red carpet show, but they value their privacy. I think a lot more than um, a creator does, as opposed to a creator being more, you know, open. Uh, I think and and more about interacting with the people that basically creates their influence. Creator Economy Live. Join Keith and Brendan live and in person, as well as hundreds of brands in Vegas on January 17th for lively conversation and debate about everything in the world of influencer marketing and the creator economy. We think about, you know, the megastars, Tom Cruise and some of these people who, you know, have been around, you know, forever. And it's just like, you hear all of these rumors and stories about them. You, you don't know what's true. You don't know what's false. But with a creator, you know, who's been around for maybe a year or two, it's just like, you know, I know what they eat for breakfast every morning. Like they invite you into their space, I think, in a very authentic way that a lot of the traditional ambassadors and celebrities don't. And so when something does happen or there's a video of them doing something drunk and stupid or whatever it is, that's when you, I think, you know, it can be a very sort of quick demise. Exactly. There's so many more opportunities 
for something to happen because of the volume of creators and how much their life shares that there's there's this you know almost false perception that they're more vulnerable to do something wrong than your average celebrity partnership so I, I agree with you Brendan I think it's it's a little bit silly how we treat it differently than any other sponsor or partner I think it's probably just a perception bias from the average you know brand marketer that I hear about this stuff more than I do, you know, celebrity sponsorship stuff, even though that's probably not true on a percentage basis. <laughs> One last point that I, I think is funny is there was a, a you know, TikTok creators, they do all of these sort of, you know, I'll give you $5 kind of interviews or trivia questions or whatever. And just to sort of, Brendan, to, to further your point, this guy went around and he would double the amount of money to the next person if they could answer the question. And the question was, what is Zendaya's last name? That's wild. Yeah, that never occurred to me. I don't know the answer either. And nobody could answer it, right? And so you think about, I don't know the answer. I don't know if you, <laughs> you both know the answer. But arguably the biggest you know, star on the planet, and you don't know her last name, right? And so if you think about that from a privacy or sort of like a whatever perspective, like we don't, you know, we don't know a lot about them, but we know a lot about these other people. And and I think it just sort of goes to show that like, there's just, there could be a lot of hidden issues there. All right, let's get into our topics of the week. That was a fantastic discussion, though. We might have to cut our topics of the week short. We were, we were vibing on those topics for so long. I'll do one quick one just to give kind of the viewers the update on what happened this week. I'm curious, maybe if you each want to pick one, if there is one you're interested in. But these were, it was Feature Palooza this last week from the platform. So Meta added polls in their comment section on Instagram. I assume that's an attempt to keep more of the conversation in the comments versus the DMs. YouTube, the like and subscribe buttons are getting animated so that when a creator says, you know, like and subscribe, they'll actually pulsate and it'll be animated. All TikTok videos will default to auto captions starting in November. ByteDance launched CapCut for Business. I call this basically CapCut for dummies. <laughs> Threads launched a paid partnership label for creators to make partnerships easier and more transparent. And then finally, Snapchat is launching web embeds for lenses, creator spotlight videos, public stories, and public profiles. Brendan, do you care about any of these? If so, which ones and why? I'll comment on two that are sort of intertwined, but the polls and stuff within Instagram comments, we've talked about threads before. I think the long-term, if thread survives, my theory is it's going to be more closely integrated into Instagram. So I feel like they're sort of paving the way for that. And you sort of see already, I don't know if you guys are seeing it, but in my Instagram, threads posts are popping up between Instagram posts. And then I'm pretty sure the paid partnership label is part of like a broader EU compliance issue. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure there are, I know there are rather, a number of paid partnerships within threads. I don't think it's a massive ecosystem yet, but I think it's more of a compliance issue versus like there's a ton of demand for it. So that's my my working theory. I'm super bullish on like Instagram kind of absorbing threads. That's the takeaway on my side. Mark, how about you? I think all are, are interesting. I, I don't think any of them, I think the Instagram sort of, you know, polls thing is is interesting. I, I, I've seen a lot more creators accept those. And I, I've also seen our social teams, whenever these happen, you know, they go a buzz with, oh my God, you know, we got to, you know, uh, completely change, you know, what we're doing, you know, this month and whatever. So I, I think that that one will probably have 
the most, I think, viable impact in the short term in terms of some of the things that you were talking about in terms of the paid partnership buttons on threads and, and other things. I think as those partnerships begin to hopefully increase, it'll certainly make it easier FTC compliance is always top of mind when it comes to you know influencers. Um, no brand wants to be the Microsoft Xbox from years ago, right? Nobody wants to do that. And so there's a major, major, I think, thing. Whenever, whenever we can do something that's non-obtrusive, like something that says paid partnership as opposed to you know hashtag ad at the beginning, et cetera, I think it alleviates worries from the brand. It, it mitigates risk and it allows the content to be front and center, which is which is what we want. I almost feel like that hashtag ad at the front of it, it turns people off. And I just want it to be conceived as, you know, content that's enjoyable, that's not interruptive. And I feel like the the more that we can caption that in the right way so that people understand it, but not like call attention to it with like, I remember um, you know, I, I worked on kids' brands in the past. It's tough because, you know, you have to have a, a parent in the video for you know thirty seconds or so. You have to literally at the beginning say, "Hey kids, this is an ad," you know, verbally, and then you have to have you know every two minutes you have to have a thing in it. So, I think the more that we can recognize that it's you know a paid partnership or that a brand is sponsoring it without having to put it in big red letters every time, the the better. Yeah, that's our goal though. Our, our goal typically is to have to make content that is just as good, if not better. And and when I say better. If you look at, for instance, how Mr. Beast does his videos, you know, in order to get onto his main channel, a partner has to pay, I believe it's about $2 million to be a part of that one video. But what that video does is it allows him to create more premium content, give away more money, give away more prizes, make it bigger. So in that regard, if we're doing something like that, like I would want it to perform better than non-sponsored content because they have more you know, more money and, and more, you know, they can make it more premium and they can, you know, kind of do what they want. You want to pour gasoline on the fire of like what they're already doing and helping them kind of like do that. Like every creator has this idea they've been kicking around for like, you know, to use your term, what was it like? They're, they're sort of a universe, like they've got ideas. And it's like, if you can like take some, some big idea they've got and you're like, all right, we're going to power you to do that. That's such a great way to approach it. I was going to say, it's just, we have different intentions when you're saying, if it's a testimonial for a product and you're like, I love this product and these features of the products, sometimes it's necessary to give a disclosure, like I'm being paid for this opinion as well, just so you know. So if it's a ratings and reviews almost, but when you're, again, to your point, we're treating it like a one size fits all almost from the FTC compliance standpoint, where it's very different. If that's not the intention of the content and a brand is just like, part of the content creation and just aiding to the creation of the product and it's not a rating and review or a testimonial, I don't think we should treat it the same way in the disclosures that it is for the other side. So I agree. I feel like we're trying to do one size fits all with the FTC and it really shouldn't be. And I did a post a few weeks back when the FTC did their guidance rules about like verbal disclosures alongside written disclosures and when that's needed and why that's needed. And I think it all comes down to don't ruin the content for the sake of disclosing it, we can disclose it in a way that makes it fair and obvious without it actually destroying the content. Yeah. And we've worked with creators too who almost flip that on its head and they they do, you know, ridiculous things to satiate that, but it becomes a part of the content. And so like again, this isn't a straight creator play. It was a uh, it was a Super Bowl spot, but you look at 
the John Cena Mountain Dew spot where it was like, pick out all the Mountain Dews. This is a Mountain Dew ad. Like you can do those fun things or, or, you know, in 30 Rock early on in the NBC, uh, when it was on NBC for the first three years, they would do, you know, ads for Snapple, like in the thing. And you would know it was an ad. It was kind of like a turn to camera sort of a testimonial there. I think that's kind of a way to get around it too, is to kind of like almost be self-reflexive in the need to tell people that this is a product that you've been paid for or whatever in kind of a funny, unique way. The one feature we didn't talk about because it wasn't launched, but it still got some press this last week was that TikTok creator scoring. So apparently they are developing a scoring system for creators in the marketplace. So when you search, there's a score based on the industry attributes. They haven't really determined or disclosed like what is the scoring system, but it's going to be available on the creator's profile. So they'll have an actual score. Brenda, what do you think about this? Do you like the idea that there's going to be scoring systems for creators or is that going to really hurt anyone who doesn't have some arbitrary, amazing score? Not having gone down the rabbit hole on this just yet. First off, I think TikTok creator marketplace is amazing. The level of like first party data is awesome. And I wish more platforms had that. The scoring, I hope they provide a lot of detail in terms of what's behind that. I know that on the back end, when you're doing TikTok shop, you can see kind of which creators are driving performance. So maybe if it's incorporating that, that makes a lot of sense. So you can kind of get an indication of like who's driving sales, but like an arbitrary scoring system. I'm never typically a fan of those unless it's very clear, like what are the inputs so I understand the output. But I'm perfectly happy to be honest with the level of data that they share. I'd almost rather just like more data and let me interpret it based off of my use case. Mark, what do you think? Did you see this story? It wasn't a lot here. You had to dig a little to find it, but it was out there. I'm a little torn with it, right? Because it, it it sort of makes my job a little bit easier. Because if there's a if there's a score that we can look at, and it's you know if it's green, yellow, red, right? We're just like, oh look, you know this person is you know a verified you know trustworthy individual according to the platform in which they create their universe. But I do think it's going to hurt a lot of maybe up and coming creators depending on the criteria and you know you do one thing wrong and it, it could potentially decimate your score that's where i'm a little bit torn i do think that brands will absolutely pay attention to that number if it's a, if it's a publicly disclosed number or one that we can get you know through backend means but i do think it may limit our ability to find perfectly great creators because they're you know again if it's a 100 point score and they're an 89 brands always going to want something closer to 100 I'm not a fan of human scoring. I'm a fan of contextual search scoring. So in our platform, the Linkia side, we have contextual search, and then there's kind of like a percentage match based on that. So if I was searching for something, and you could tell me based on my search, who has kind of the highest overlap from a content perspective, and that becomes some kind of fit ranking or scoring, I'm a fan of that to say, you know, the highest like proliferation of people talking about this topic. When you get into scoring the human being, on some kind of closed attribute system. That's where I struggle with the value of that. So it's not launched, so it's hard to react to what is the rumor of what's going to happen. But I really hope they move more towards the search fit versus the human score. All right, so let's do our, our last key story that is TikTok shop. So as of this week, it's been live in the US for a little over a month. The brands and creators are starting to share their experiences. So I've seen some published, you know, commentary from brands. I've seen some published commentary from creators. You know, to increase shop sales right now, the platform, and I think we talked about this for holiday, is subsidizing discounts up to 50%. So items are significantly cheaper for consumers. They're really trying to drive adoption. The numbers are it's around four million sales are made on TikTok per day. 
The platform hopes to reach 10 million per day by the end of the year. This is according to the information. And just for reference, LTK, the e-commerce platform, facilitated 4 billion of sales. So that's an average of an 11 million per day during the entirety of last year. And then we can't forget about countries like Indonesia, which are banning shop entirely. And I don't know if that's going to then permeate to the rest of the uh, country in the world. So Mark, I guess, you know, Brendan and I have talked about shop before. Obviously, we haven't had you on talking about shop. Any overarching opinions of shop? And if you think it will reach some of the goals that they have? I think it will. And purely from a sort of subjective user of, of TikTok, it's obviously, you know, exploded in the last months. I do think countries like I think you had mentioned Indonesia banning TikTok shop. I do think that the reason that they're doing that, or at least according to one of the articles that I had read, is because they fear that small businesses are going to be hurt by this, right? Even in the same article, they mentioned that like a lot of small businesses are, are angry because they're selling things through TikTok shop as well as you know through IRL, just you know normal sort of traffic. And one of the campaigns that I had the pleasure of working on 10 years ago or so was Small Business Saturday the thing that Amex created. And the first thing that we did in that was we gave all small businesses sort of like an online toolkit and worked with Facebook to deliver, you know, direct sort of marketplace ads that people could buy through, right? Which was, you know, completely novel and innovative 10 years ago and, and now is obviously the standard. So I think it's just an I think it's just an education thing. Like I do think that small businesses and maybe brands like Amex helping small businesses to create toolkits to better, you know, sell on on TikTok shop, I would probably lean in that direction in terms of that happening as opposed to us, the US or or any other, you know, major purchase countries to trying to ban that. That would be my, you know, my two cents on on that subject. I think it's good for small businesses if, if created in the right way. And I think it's an opportunity for brands to, like Amex or other like-minded companies that want to help small businesses to be able to give them the education, the tools necessary to compete. And what do you think, Brendan, now that it's been 30 plus days? I'm super bullish on it. You know, live social commerce in China right now is half a trillion a year. I don't think that's limited to just live. I think social commerce is much bigger if I am remembering my stats. So... I'm super bullish in general on like live social commerce and social commerce being adopted. Four million a day. Just looking at that, that's like 1.5 billion a year. That seems pretty impressive. And I think there's a lot of room for growth. I don't see why it wouldn't translate here. I know a lot of people say that there's like, oh, culturally, it won't translate as well. You know, it's really big in China, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be as big here. But like I just keep going back to QVC is massive here. <laughs> like, I don't see why it wouldn't translate well. <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you think, Keith? I agree with everything. I think from a creator's point of view, I don't know. I, I feel like you have to be testing it and trying it and see if it drives conversion. The thing I haven't digged in close enough is the actual products that they're featuring and the manufacturing location of those products and the quality of those products. Because my fear has always been as they become the retailer and fulfiller, are they going to push more and more to their own marketplaces as TikTok? And does that have an impact on quality of goods? And then if you have a singular bad experience shopping, does that then turn you off completely from the entire experience of TikTok shop? So I think I have to dig closer into products and the and like what is available, not from a TikTok fulfillment perspective, but from an actual brand perspective. But listen, we're close to the holiday season. This is the highest shopping period of the entire year. If you're a creator, I think you have to be experimenting over the next couple of months and seeing, are you capable of driving purchases? 
How are people responding to those? Are you able to monetize it in any way? So if it's doing 4 million in sales per day right now, I can't imagine that doesn't skyrocket in the next 60 days right now. So I'm very curious to see this LTK TikTok shock comparison when we talk two months from now. Yeah, I, I would also just add that like it doesn't happen all the time where you have you know, a place that you can go to with entertainment that also becomes shoppable. And when you have those two things together, it makes for, you know, an amazing force for brands. I think Amazon, obviously, continuing to prove that and continuing to tweak that as well in terms of providing entertainment, then also ways to purchase. If you think about making the cut, the Amazon show, right, which provides a ton of entertainment in the style of Project Runway, but then at the same time, drives people that day to then Amazon wardrobe, right, to purchase those those products. So I see this for TikTok being able to, you know, as a creator, if you're even a smaller creator, but you've created a brand for yourself and being able to, you know, um, to share that with customers is going to be great. Larger brands, I think it'll be great. And then also influencers who have become brands like Mr. Beast, right, being able to sell Feastables and all these other sort of, you know, merchandise through, um, through the TikTok lens is also going to provide a lot of good information for, for creators and a lot of good information for brands. Yeah. And a difference between also promoting a product to buy versus making the things in your video shoppable too. Mm. I don't know. Do you watch the morning show, either of you? I watched that show and I literally found myself Googling, could I find what Steve Carell is wearing in season one? I was like, I really like what's going on with Carell's outfit right now. And I couldn't find anything, nothing. And I'm like, it's not like somebody needs to say, buy my shirt, shop now, click the button. But if you're doing a video and you're consuming things and you're featuring things and you're wearing things, I think it's a good idea to make all of those things shoppable. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And it'll get more sophisticated so that that it won't hamper your experience, but at the same time, it'll augment it, right? So I think Amazon will, in the next, here's sort of like my big bet or whatever, <laughs> whatever we want to call it, I think in the next 18 months, I think Amazon will convert X-Ray, right, from being purely an about experience or, you know, learn more about this clip or, you know, where it was said or whatever in terms of just like fun facts to something that's more purchase-oriented in a small way. I think that's always been the plan with X-Ray, and I think they'll start to roll that out again in, in the next year to 18 months. I think you're spot on. They've got to be working on that. It's, it makes so much sense for them. All right, let's round the corner and turn to our cow bow and follow unfollow. feel like the crowd pleasers point of the episode. Uh, let's do it. So our cow, our creator of the week, Mark, as our guest, do you want to go first with your cow? I'm going to say Hallie Tutt again. I really like what she's doing. She calls herself a universe builder. So I sort of uh, co-opted that a little bit for the, the showrunner of the universe. I think she's doing a lot of amazing stuff visually. She's sort of creating experiences. I think we'll likely work with her with one of our brands soon. And I think she's also great because I think she'll be a great collaborator with some of the other brand ambassadors that we have, because I think she can sort of teach them some of the unique, I feel like, worlds that she's creating and, and help us on more of a campaign level. So I'll, I'll go back to Hallie Tut, who's a TikTok influencer who gained you know, those 900,000 followers or so over the course of the last uh, couple months. Love it. Well, she just gained one more as you were talking. So I will check out this content. Brendan, your creator of the week. Yeah, we've talked about him a bit on this. Dylan Huey is the president of Reach, which is 
the USC sort of influencer slash social media organization. He's built up an audience of his own, over 2 million followers. But uh, myself and James Creech went down there on Wednesday and met with the USC Reach chapter. Just did a Q&A and stuff. And I think it's just really smart what he's built. And um, he's done a great job sort of being out in the industry and giving back. I'm always just so blown away by these young kids who are already savvy enough that they're like working, you know, in the ecosystem, part of the conversation. Like when I was whatever, 20, 21, I was a mess. Like <laughs> I did not have my act together like these guys. So I'm shouting out Dylan. We should, we should get him on the show sometime. My creator of the week it's Haley Khalil. I don't know if you know Haley Khalil, but she goes by Haley Bailey. She's my creator of the week for a couple of reasons. One, I find her story fascinating. She's a you know scientist turned content creator. She graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor of science in medical biology and psychology, a minor in chemistry, became a model, then turned content creator. So I think her story is really interesting, and her creator collabs are fantastic. If you've seen what she's done with like Jared Leto and Ed Sheeran and Zach King. My second reason is I spoke with Haley actually at Advertising Week. So the panel was myself, Haley, and Fanula Austin, who comes from Meta and now leads the creative strategy team at Linkia. And I thought there was such an interesting dialogue and conversation. And Haley leaned over to me after we finished and said, I learned so much from the other side. And I said, I think they learned so much for you. And two points I wanted to make is one, she was very complimentary of brands who actually watch her content. And when they reach out to her and briefing and talking to her, reference that. So she talked about how she said she'd love to be on a billboard. It was like a weird dream of hers. And Sarah V reached out to her and said, hey, we want to do put you on a billboard. Like, what do you think of that? And she said, they're watching my content. They're not just saying you have millions of followers. So I thought that was one point. And then I did ask her, would you create content for a brand not posted and have them use it in media? Because that's becoming a big trend and she said yes, but she still would require it to be her style of content because I think she wisely is thinking, it's still my face out there. My face is becoming recognizable. And so, you know, anything I post has to be my style, but anything I don't post and give to the brand still has to be in my style because I want to maintain this brand and this image. So I'm not just going to be a talking head in paid media, even if I don't post. So two really interesting things, but she was wildly impressive as a speaker, really impressive. She's ubiquitous. She's everywhere. And I love her tone. I think her tone, again, I, I don't know if it's just her own personality or if it's something that she, you know, she sort of creates this uh, sort of like very irreverent and approachable style, but it's it's a home run and, and the collaboration. I think she's doing everything right. And I'm sure she'll get a ton of large brand deals. I'm sure she's, you know, she's not even on the cusp of breaking out. I think she's already there. Okay, so now let's move to our brand of the week, our bow. Mark, want to kick us off again? What is your brand of the week? I've got two. One, I don't know if I call them smaller or not, but I love what Feastables is doing. I mentioned it before. Mr. Beast, I think the content that he's putting out there across all of his channels, super smart. And then within the last few weeks, which I know that they're sort of still hammering out the details, he will be the first influencer to have their brand on 
NBA jerseys. So he did a partnership with the Charlotte Hornets. I think it's super, super smart. He has a huge base in North Carolina. And I think he's just doing all of the right things in terms of combating, you know, Feastables being his chocolate bar, competing against sort of the big candy uh, Hershey's. So I really like what they're doing. I know their sales are up. My, my friend works um, as his COO for the company. And so I'd say that one. And then a second one, I love what Hot Ones is doing in the sauce space. So Hot Ones being the complex slash first we feast property. I think what they're doing both, you know, in terms of their marketing with, you know, big celebrities and continuing in like, you know, season 23 of it and keeping it super fresh. And they're upping there. We're going to be doing a collaboration with them with a brand coming up at the end of next year. And I think some of the things that they've been doing with other brands like, you know, Pringles and others have been very smart and have kept people top of mind and um, have done exponentially well in sales. So you asked for one, but I, I, I doubled it. So those are my two. I love both of those. Those are good ones. I want to do an analysis of every NBA jersey sponsor too, because you go in as a consumer thinking, oh, it's going to be Pepsi and Coca-Cola and P&G. And there's some really interesting sponsors from every walk of life. But I love that a creator brand is now an official sponsor of the NBA team. I love that. Brendan, brand of the week. What do you have? My brand of the week is LipDub. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Captions app, but it's by the guys from the Captions app. They rolled out this new app called LipDub. You can upload video and it can translate your talking to 45 different languages. And in addition to like auto-translating it so it's your voice, it also changes the movement of your lips so it looks like you're speaking that language. And fun fact, so there's 45 languages, but it can also translate to Pirate, Gen Z, Texas, and Baby Talk. Um, and uh, so I had some fun messing around with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wild, though. I mean, speaking of Mr. Beast, like... This app is amazing. It's very cool. Check out my... It is amazing. Have you seen the videos of creators doing this online? I mean, I've seen, like, the French, the spa. It is unbelievable. That's very cool. It reminds me there's a, there's another one out there that I, I think is pretty recent too, that basically regardless of where you're looking, it makes it look like you're looking directly into the camera. And I think that's so smart. And I think it's great for, for creators in general, but then it's great for brands, right? Because we can script out with them some of the things, intros, outros, things like that. And they can, they can read it because there's sometimes there's like technical and legal stuff that, that, you know, obviously are, are sometimes difficult to kind of comprehend or they need to say it a certain way. I think that's great too. So both of those apps, I, I think I may be using in the near future. Captions app, I know has that functionality. I think a few others do as well, because I think it's sort of like a, a technology that can be integrated into other apps. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I, I've used that one too. It is so wild what's possible now. Yeah. And the teleprompter feature, you could have a script kind of teleprompt like a news anchor and it will go down on your phone while you're reading it. But the lip dubbing and it's in your voice. The first video I saw, my jaw dropped. I was amazed. I'm a little terrified of what this could possibly mean because I think today I could just upload your voice and you or obviously a celebrity or a political leader. So I'm, I'm a little terrified of the implications, but from a pure technology standpoint and for those doing it for the right reasons, oh my God, the whole, what it does for a creator to be able to go globally is, th this is really disruptive. I love that. That's a great brand of the week. Crazy. So what's your brand of the week, Keith? Mine was CB2. 
I don't know if you know CB2, but it's a crate and barrel brand. And the reason I'm, I highlight them, and I will keep highlighting these brands, is they launched a social marketing campaign. It's called their Best of Collection. It's nothing revolutionary. It's video of product shots with a techno soundtrack. They have a shoppable QR link. But it was posted to the Instagram account, did really well for them. And they began repurposing the content in their display ads. Then they turned the content into CTV spots. So the spot itself, I wasn't thrilled with. I don't think they, I think they could have done a better optimization job for, for a TV format. But the idea of taking social content, bringing it to all these other channels, that is the future. This is the next year or two is going to be moving beyond the walls of social in the world of creator and influencer marketing. So I'm going to continue highlighting brands who are doing this. They're doing it really intentionally. We're actually doing a test in a couple months here with a client to test CTV spots that are creator-driven versus kind of BAU content. So I think we're going to see this proliferate over the next year, and I'm really happy about it. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. All right, let's round this out. Follow, unfollow. Mark, who is your follow? Who is your unfollow? Or I shouldn't say who, what? I really like Hank Green. I don't know if you know, you all know him. Uh, SciShow, Crash Course, Founder of VidCon. Yeah, founder yeah. of VidCon. His, his brother is a, a pretty prominent writer for, you know, as Fault of Our Stars and a bunch of other YA novels. I think the stuff that they're putting out now is just as good as the stuff that they put out when they started doing this thing like 15 years ago. I like him. I like his tone. I think he breaks down, you know, a lot of good stuff. In terms of the unfollow, sort of a person and a brand too, I, I guess, to a certain degree. But, you know, I used to follow, and I just recently unfollowed him, but Gary Vaynerchuk, who represent brands. It seems like he doesn't show up in my feed as often as he used to. I feel like, at least anecdotally, like, I wonder if he's, like, slowed down his content cadence. Because before it was, like, he was unavoidable. And now it seems like I can go, you know, a week or two without hearing his name. I was going to say the exact same thing. I agree. I, it used to be every single time I scrolled through LinkedIn, it was Va Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I don't see that stuff at all anymore. Maybe because I stopped clicking and watching any of it and just said, okay, stop serving. All right, Brendan, who is your follow and unfollow? Who or what? Yeah, well, last week, you know, there was another big, you know, YouTube celebrity boxing match, KSI versus Tommy Fury and Logan Paul versus Dylan Dennis. And... You know, when YouTubers got into boxing, there was a lot of like, oh, you know, by professional fighters and stuff, there was a lot of this like hemming and hawing about they're making a mockery of the sport and stuff. But like, I got to say, I mean, Dylan Danis, I mean, he's not a professional boxer. He's like jujitsu and, and MMA. But like the stuff he did was like 100% out of line. So anyways, my unfollow is Dylan Danis for so many reasons. Like I think that what that guy did was just beyond disgusting. And then I'll give follow to Logan Paul. I mean, I think in general, he's done a great job turning his career around. And I have to admit, I like the Impulsive podcast. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think he's he's turned himself around. And Prime is like, I mean, that's everywhere, man. I mean, it's not good for you, uh, but it's, it's, it's everywhere. To wrap us up here, my follow was global nonprofit Earth Alliance. They just announced their first creator fund. We always talk about social platform creator funds. This is a nonprofit creator fund. It's an initiative that awards $2,000 grants to creators who make climate-friendly content. I mean, come on. Doesn't that just warm your heart right there? So I think, amazing. I want to see more creator funds that are rewarding you know, strong initiatives from creators, whether it's climate change, 
whether it's sustainability initiatives, whatever whatever it is, I think this is really good that we're seeing you know brands, especially nonprofits, take on creator funds. So that was my follow. And my unfollow is the $11 price tag Meta is moving forward with for their ad-free subscription. We talked a couple episodes, Brendan, ago that you know the analysis done by, um, again, I forget who was doing the analysis, but 6 or $7 is how they were valuing your value in terms of like how you sell ads per person on Meta. And so we thought maybe that's where they'd ping it or peg it. And we thought maybe that's too much money. Would people really pay 6 or 7 So $11 for Meta paid subscription. I don't know if I would pay or anyone is going to pay $11 for Meta. Yeah, it seems a bit high. Meta's making some weird moves. The other thing that they announced recently was the Meta AI celebrity thing. I don't know if you guys read about that, but they're like Tom Brady and Kendall Jenner and Snoop Dogg. And they like bought their AI rights and they like, they're changing their names so that people know that it's not an AI thing, but like you'll be able to interact with them. And I was just like, why are you, why are we doing this? Yeah. The changing name thing, I feel like it's kind of confusing. It almost feels like it should be like parody or fake or AI. Yeah. Yeah. Or any of those things. Um, But yeah, I I agree with you. I think that it's super high. The the $11 I'm, it's also a weird number. Like why 11? Do they need to make some sort of like, you know, revenue hit based on project? Like typically you see things that, you know, 799, 899, 999, something like that. But it feels like it's, you know, almost like 50% too high. Yeah, I agree. And so Meta's uh, just a comparison. Meta would be $11 monthly price. TikTok, what they're exploring outside of the US is would be $4.99 a month. We don't know X. I mean, they announced like a dollar at baseline of just you have to pay now for X. So that was X's was dollar potentially. Tumblr's $4.99, Reddit's $5.99, YouTube is higher, $13.99, but there's kind of reasons why you pay that and there's premiumness to it. And then Twitch is $11.99. So that was kind of a comparison around the horn. By the way, dollar on X, just any quick thoughts on that? I mean, in general, I think if it reduces bots, I'm all for it. A dollar is not much money, but I feel like given the amount of times they've done these things and sort of like it not be a cohesive plan it just makes them look at this point everything they do that is charging i think it's more the optics of it just makes them look desperate all right that is all the time we have mark thank you so much for joining the pod very interesting discussion you are welcome back anytime of course love it thanks guys for having me appreciate it thanks mark Thanks for listening. And for more of the latest news on what's happening in influencer marketing and the creator economy, check out the Creator Economy Insider newsletter, delivering awesome content straight to your inbox every Friday. And if you want to meet Brendan and I in person, along with some of the incredible guests that will be joining us on the show live and in person, join us at Creator Economy Live on January 17th next year. You can find links to the newsletter and more info on the live event in our bio. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by Linkia, the number one influencer marketing partner for the world's leading brands. Having executed over 3,000 campaigns for more than 650 brands, Linkia combines technology powered by Google Vision AI with award-winning service to deliver measurable influencer results.